Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to episode four of the Roto World Football Podcast. As always, I'm Josh Norris. Like we did last episode, just wanted to start things off by saying thank you to all of those of you who rated and reviewed the podcast over the last week. Specifically, shout out to Beckley NFL and Sean underscore C13 for leaving great reviews. The positive feedback is always so welcome and so surprising. Uh, we told you we're looking for the feedback, and we definitely got some from Laratonda24, who asked us to go a step further than we usually do and give a top 10 position ranking. Lara, it's something that we're going to do closer to the draft, so just be a little patient. All right, so I'm incredibly excited to have our guest on the show today. It's Zach Whitman of 3 Sigma Athlete and at ZJ Whitman on Twitter and obviously also a field goal. Zach is so good at breaking down really the meaning of analytics and athletic testing and spark. So if you're a numbers junkie or really just a football junkie, I think you'll get a ton out of this episode and we'll really love it. All right, Zach, happy to talk with you again. It's our annual chat. I guess I can put it that way. Um, but I wanted to talk not specifically about athletic testing to start, but I remember the last time we spoke, you gave an awesome and somewhat brief kind of synopsis on how the term analytics, which, as you put it, kind of can be a dirty word in, in the NFL circles, um, but but you defined it in, in a really um, easy-to-consume way. So um, I guess my question is, can you do that again for me? <laughs> Oh no! Wow, this is this is stressful now. Um, I'm being called upon to recite. Well, I think that in general, like you see uh, the Browns hire. I think his name is Sashi Brown or or whatever. But these, you know, these things come up, and you'll see it on Twitter, and people are like, "Oh, that's analytics," and it's it's really this dirty word that has all of these connotations to it, right? Like, there's this assumption that when people hear the word analytics, it means that we're going to burn all the scouting notes, burn every bit of tape spreadsheets will rule everything it's really like people make the link between you know analytics and and like athletic testing or production and like some futuristic dystopian society where the robots have taken over but really like analytics are are not that scary and we do them you know every day analytics in a really brief it's just studying data to determine trends and really that's best done over big sets of data right if i have 20 years of combine data that's better than one year of combine data because combine data would tell me 
know, if I only had last year to go off it, I would never draft anyone who looks like Vic Beasley. You know, he had a bad year. But maybe with 20 years, we can look at those trends and say, you know what, maybe that didn't work out. But overall, there's a there's a kind of a broader trend at play. Um, and so really, it's just understanding that when you're scouting and you look at Derrick Henry and you say, there's something about Derrick Henry I don't like, mm-hmm. and it's probably some preconceived notion about Trent Richardson, you there are applying your own anecdotal trend, right? You're saying something about this is triggering some synapse in my brain that I don't like this prospect because it reminds me of someone else. What data does is it can look at many years. It can look at everything from you know 1975 to now or whatever you want your bounds to be. And it can say, I know you think your memory's good, hmm. but it's not as good as mine because I have everything. And the trends you're pointing out aren't that great because they're only what your flawed memory can do. Because most people, you know, as humans, have flawed memories, have flawed recollection, have flawed connections. And it's really good to bring data in to say, let's look at all of the trade data. Let's look at this on a macro scale and let's look for trends. Not the trend that your brain picks out or your eyes pick out, although that may be valid, but let's test those. Let's look at everything and see if what our eyes are seeing is actually right um, I kind of have an objective way of processing through things. And I don't put it as eloquently as you, but I've learned a lot in the past couple of years following your work from afar and even chatting with you and, and with other people that use numbers to hopefully um, develop and, and enhance their process. It's, it's all just a tool, right? Our eyes are a tool. And I used to be of the opinion that the eye in the sky never lies and that tagline that we've all heard. But then I realized, you know, it does. Like you just said, because we are all biased in some way. Like we have, we all bring our experiences to the table. And if you've missed on a certain prospect that is from the same school or reminds you of a certain player, then you already have that hesitancy uh, moving forward. And, and really just using all these varieties of different tools with the hope of coming to a better conclusion or a better evaluation is really what it's all about. Is it not? It's, it's, it's just to enhance your decision-making process and the ultimate in what we do, our evaluation in the end. Yeah, I mean, we're not 100%. As much as we like to think, you know, in, in draft Twitter or wherever we are, it's like this is the right evaluation. This is the correct um, application of this player's college skills. We do not know. And I think in any market, but especially one that's dealing with human beings who are 21 to 24 years old. There is a huge, I mean, there are these personal issues we don't know about. There are, you know, issues with how how players learn. There are just all these things that we don't know. And so what all we're trying to do is, you know, maybe you're Scott McLuhan and you just can look at players and kind of know (laughs) who is good and who's bad, you know, and maybe you have this great hit rate. But really, just all we're trying to do is take all these tools. You know, how productive are they and what does it mean? How athletic are they and what does it mean? How old are they and what does that mean? What do they look like on tape and what does that mean? We're just trying to use all of that together, all of those tools in our toolbox to get a little better at hit rate. Because, you know what, if I make a pick this year, any pick, and I'm going to really on my board will be several players, right? And I'm going to say I pick this one player out of that group. A lot of teams are going to do that and be wrong. And it's not necessarily because they had the long pro- wrong process or had the wrong evaluation. It's because it happens. Right. There's so much randomness in, this, randomness in this. What you want to do is draft a lot of times and make the best picks possible you can, the most efficient picks as many times as you can. And so really, 
all of this, like, you know, the eye in the sky doesn't lie or, you know, people who maybe tend more toward analytics, I don't really understand why we don't use all of it and develop kind of a comprehensive strategy that says, I can get a little better with this. I can get a little better with this and really form a, a better strategy than just using one thing because really any method has flaws any method has has weaknesses and biases and blind spots and isn't perfect but you know what maybe by cobbling together these different approaches and using everyone's knowledge together we can have an actual you know debate and conversation that makes us smarter instead of segmenting off into our own little groups and having this is the way it's done this is the way it's done which seems like complete or completely regressive thinking which I guess makes it the NFL, right? By definition. (laughs) And I know that you have said this uh, multiple times, but in the long run, you know, good process wins out, even if it's not after one draft or two drafts or those types of things, that if you stick with the process and continue to refine it, then that'll ultimately yield good results. But let's dig into specifically one one part that you mentioned, and that's obviously the the athletic testing. I mean, I, I would say you and the other Seahawks guys are known as as the Spark Squad. I just termed that for everyone. <laughs> oh no! <Yeah. laughs> um, so just generally, and it took me a while to completely understand this. So not just an elevator pitch; it can be a bit longer than that. But but really, what is Spark and, and what is its purpose? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna break a rule. I'm, it's it <laughs> as an elevator speech. I mean, it's it's really if we were trying to, to boil it down for people, it is kind of like an athletic SAT. Uh, for these prospects. And so it was originally developed uh, by, by an independent group that was soon purchased by Nike called Spark. And Spark was used at high school levels by Nike to kind of find the best high school athletes. So in a way, very you know similar to the SAT, it was taking tens of thousands of these high school prospects, putting them through high school combines that were very similar to NFL combines, and then saying, well, you know, what players are good athletes? And... Uh, Really, in college, it's almost more valuable in the NFL because you're making 25 or 30 decisions a year. So when you talk about good process, in college, you can make a lot more you know, good processes than you can in the NFL. Hmm. This spark thing was kind of seized upon by some college coaches. Um, I know Ed Marinowitz, who works with Chip Kelly, came from Nick Saban, who talks about him being a height-weight speed guy. Um, and th- there are kind of a lot of examples of people who have been talked about, you know, obviously Oregon and Chip Kelly, big into Spark with the Nike connection. Uh, Urban Meyer talks a lot about, he talked at the Combine about being a big proponent of athletic testing. And Pete Carroll, who was, you know, the Southern California coach back in the uh, aughts, was really one of the foremost guys in getting athletes. And so when he became Seattle coach in 2010, he took this Spark metric, right? And the Spark metric just through these athletic tests performed by high school athletes. These high school athletes would do a short shuttle. They'd do a 40-yard dash. They'd do this cool test called the Powerball throw. And all of that would kind of put those athletes in order. And for sorting through you know, recruits, it was really helpful for Carroll. And so that was kind of brought to the NFL and to the NFL Combine. And now this is something that's not new. Because when Pete Carroll then, you know, given player control, he went to hire his GM, he hired John Schneider. Right. John Schneider, being from the uh, Ron Wolf tree, you know, who himself was from the Al Davis tree, that's already kind of a, a very fertile ground for people who believe in athletic testing, right? 
so Seattle kind of became this hub with with Schneider and Carroll, two sides of the same coin, guys who wanted athletes. And hey, they get and along, so which, now, which, which helps, yeah, obviously. They, it's, <laughs> it's amazing how that works, right? Internal consistency and kind of adherence to a good process globally and not having infighting. So it is amazing how cohesive organizational <laughs> thinking yields good results over the long term. Um so really what Spark became for Seattle, you know, it's not everything, but definitely it's a way where they will attack it, um, especially, you know, in later rounds, undrafted free agency. They'll try to get a lot of good athletes on their team. Um, and Spark is, is really, it's just, it's one way of taking all of these athletic tests and putting them in a general grouping, right? So if I look at this player who's an offensive lineman, I look at these numbers all the time, and I would still have trouble telling you, you know, what the perfect broad jump is for an offensive tackle who's 325 pounds. Uh, I would have trouble telling you, like, just how good a short shuttle or a three-cone were, you know, when combined with a 10-yard split. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can do it at receiver, and we can understand. Maybe those positions that are more, you know, lightweight, play outside, we have a better grasp of athleticism. But still, it's really helpful to have a stat that can weight adjust these results and give us an overall feel for, oh, that's a league average NFL athlete. That is a marginal NFL athlete, or that's a very good NFL athlete. And you can take the data from the NFL now, all the players who have tested and really form that distribution and know. So when I look at Josh Doxson, I know he's a great NFL athlete. When I look at a guy like Tyler Boyd, I know he's not. And those are able to kind of account for things. And really, it reveals our biases, right? We're biased toward the 40-yard dash. We're right. probably biased toward the, toward the vertical jump over the broad jump just because we have a better context for it. 40 inches is good. We're not quite as sure about the broad jump all the time. Um, and so what we're trying to do is find a standardized way of bringing all that information together to remove our biases, make it objective, and have a better feel than just, you know, you look on Twitter – during pro day season, and I, I see this every day, I see so-and-so had a good pro day, and I look at the numbers and I think, that's 20th percentile. Right. That's just, it's not that good. Right. It, maybe it was good relative for the small school, not to demean small schools, but maybe they didn't have all the elite athletes. And so there was one guy who stood out above the rest at that, but yeah. that doesn't mean that guy is an NFL athlete. And we, we, so we, we see it's, that, we it's really all the... important to understand it. Yeah, we see that all the time. And I even saw it like at the Combine. Some people said that Vernon Hargreaves had a bad Combine because he ran like a 4 5 <laughs> and, and it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Like if and, and, and so this is a good example for us to kind of explain and for you to explain how to kind of read, read it. Because it puts everyone... Like how many thousands of Spark scores do you have in a database right now? Um, I think coming into this year, I had around 28,000 or so. Yeah. So Uh, that's records. I mean, not all those have complete athletic profiles, but we're definitely in thousands and thousands of records. Yes. So again, you should, I mean, theoretically and obviously, uh, an athlete that goes through the same combined testing as those 28,000 other scores that you have, you get a general sense of who they are compared to NFL athletes. And that's really the point here. And it's all based on weight. And like you mentioned, I know we're way past combine season now, but to me, and, and everyone views the 40 as a universal measurement, and we jump, we hop on someone, an athlete, for having a great, like you said, three cone or short shuttle or 40 but really it's it's all of it combined and weight adjusted is it not that's what we're getting out of here is this um 
it, it, it it's this, at the end this universal measurement that this one note measurement that that we can point to. Um, and and Vernon Hargreaves is an example, right? He ran a four five zero, and people said he d- he didn't have a, a a great combine, but then he tests in what like the ninety six percentile of all NFL corners, which means, as you put it, he's more athletic than ninety six percent of corners in your database. Right, and that's not even in my database, but that's players like actually making you know the NFL cut, you know, because because in the database every year, just round numbers, there's probably twenty five hundred prospects. Um, 300 or so of those are actually invited to the combine. Uh, I think it was 332 this year. And so what you're saying is that you can do the quick math, um, or, or maybe you can't, <laughs> about seven or eight <laughs> times as many players do pro days as do con- That's not a shot at you, Josh, necessarily. Um, but maybe seven or eight times as many guys do pro days as combines. And we're already kind of inviting the blue chip athletes to the combine. So actually, the average pro day is worse than the average combine performance, is worse than the average NFL athlete. In fact, maybe 25 or 30% on average of combine athletes hit NFL average. So there's a pretty big gap there. You know, athletic players are kind of already selecting themselves in the NFL. Teams generally pick more athletic guys. You know, Jalen Ramsey's going to go high. He's a great player, be, you know, very much probably because of that great athleticism as well. Right. It's kind of already self-selecting, but yeah, for sure. Like we look at the, we look at the combine and we say NFL athlete, not an NFL athlete, and that's kind of a very broad way to use the metrics. But I think it's a useful one. And Vernon Hargreaves is a hilarious example because if you put me in in, in a locked room, right, and, and you gave me some water for a while, I could live. And you and you you gave me three days in there, and I didn't see the combine at all. All I see is like it's a Count of Monte Cristo situation, right? I get some gruel every day, some water. I'm carving things on the walls. And somebody shoved like the combine sheet under the door, right? And I looked at it and I tried to figure out like what is what is Twitter's reaction to these scores? I would look at Vernon Hargreaves and I would know that people would hate his day. I would know it. Yep. And I would also know that it was a great day. It doesn't matter. Just, I don't even need to see the reaction anymore because people are so predictable with their over-reliance on the 40 and, and just not understanding kind of the full breadth of it, right? This is not about looking at one test and saying good or bad. It's about looking at all of it and weight adjusting is a really important component of that, right? Because, I mean, think about yourself. If you lost, you know, if you were 20 pounds overweight and you tested, that was then you college, lost Zach. 20 pounds and tested. call that college. Okay, yeah, okay, well, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm glad to hear you had a good time in college, Josh. <laughs> uh, but, but really, like, you're obviously going to test differently at those two. If you're carrying 20 pounds, you're right. not going to run as well. We have to adjust for that at some level. And I think that people, it's just, it's very, very difficult for the human brain, I've found. And, and I, I do not claim to have a great feel for this either, to look at two results and just absolutely know. Um, once you look at a lot of them, you get better and you understand what a good result is, what a bad result is. But it's just, it is ever so crucial to be hitting that weight and understanding what, it, it's different when a 170-pound slot corner runs 4-3 than when Calvin Johnson runs 4-3. Right. We know that intuitively. It's just a way of actually putting that to the numbers so we understand how what that differential is. Because intuitively, we do not know how different it is between Calvin Johnson with 70 extra pounds running 4-3. Since you did bring up the term pro day, probably another dirty word right now, and it is pro day season, why, why, why don't we get to this? Because I know that you give a... a 
great reasoning why pro day results do matter, even though it seems like every single time someone posts a, some nice athletic testing, like this week with um, Vernon Butler. Let's give him an example from Louisiana Tech. Um, people want to say, well, it's a pro day, so you should subtract this much, or or it's it's it doesn't matter as much as the combine. Um, what would your reaction be, or what is your reaction when people do say that? Well, I think, first of all, just like on a very broad level, we need to be building in mental uncertainty on all of these results, right? When a guy runs a 4-4-2 at the combine, it does not mean he is 4-4-2 fast, necessarily. It means he's probably somewhere around a 4-4-2. And kind of the idea with all of this, like say Vernon Butler. Say Vernon Butler did everything the same, but had a vertical that was four inches higher. If you were basing your entire evaluation off of Vernon Butler's vertical, <laughs> you'd say, wow, this guy suddenly went from a really, really mediocre guy to the best, right? Because you only have one parameter. The idea of Spark in general is to not be so sensitive to individual results. Right. With Spark, if you have if you have one vertical or, or a broad jump that's inflated, that's not really going to, I mean, okay, you're a few percentiles higher maybe than you should be. But one fast 40 is not a 40 make, right? Not a spark make, I should say. So you can't really game the system by having, you know, a fast, like, Ohio State 40 or whatever, you know, the rumored people to go fast are. So that's just first is, like, one result shouldn't be that big of a deal either way. We should just back off on freaking out. Right, and just quickly, and this happened to me this past week. Um, I was talking with Greg Gabriel, who we know is a former NFL executive, and he said something to the effect of, well, Boston College's Justin Simmons, the safety, would like be wise to run a 4-5-5. He could enhance his grade by two full rounds or a full round or something of that effect. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But when I looked at your work in terms of Justin Simmons' combine performance, like a 4-5-5 would have done nothing for him because, one, he's already a tremendous athlete, and two, had ridiculous agility tests in terms of the three-cone and 20-yard short shuttle. And so I understand that, sure, maybe the NFL, we have seen it in the past, right? They do go nuts if a like an Andre Ellington runs a 4-6-2 or whatever it was because that, that number is right in the nameplate. And so I'm with you. I, I, I wish that we could have just that composite score that has the overall athleticism instead of just the 40 on there. But Justin Simmons was just an example that came off on my head. And sure, he did hit the 4 or 5, five or whatever it was. But it's like we already knew he was a great athlete, so does it really factor in? Um, but sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, when, I, when I ran... No, I ran his score at a four five one. I think that was his reported after a four six one of the combine, and he went from third overall in DB Spark to third overall in defensive back Spark. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like the most marginal change ever, right? Like we already knew that a guy who had those agility drills and those and those leaping drills probably was pretty athletic and probably was faster than a four six one. Right. It seems asinine. First of all, if it's a four five five versus like a four six one, first of all. Six hundredths of a second is within the testing <laughs> variance. Like, like you are not that good at operating a clock. You are not that. You we do not know to that degree. Like what a score is. So it's hilarious to me to have like some absolute idea of what any given player's score is. Yeah. There are no like black and white results really. And 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 with timed events, they're even less black and white, right? They're, they're so, so gray. Maybe you say a vertical or a broad jump where we actually have an objective test is is different, but really like those timed drills are, are so variant. I would say in response to your initial question of like what do pro days mean, I think the second thing is just kind of like the bad day factor. Right. I live on the West Coast. 
I know I know you don't, but on the West Coast, we have to wake up early for a lot of things. Like the Seahawks, for example, in the playoffs when facing this team from Carolina you might know about. <laughs> um, they looked – I mean, they, they played uh, several – they played two weeks They didn't wake up to the second right? half, right? Right, and that happens with them uh, a lot. And I'm going to get killed for mentioning this, but, like, I was tired watching the game. It is tough to wake up at, at 10 a.m., I'm sure, and, and play. And at the Combine, these guys aren't at 10 a.m. Some of these West Coast kids are up at, like, what, like 6 a.m. my yep. time? I'm, like, barely rolling out of bed. I'm dead. I'm trying to eat some shredded wheat, and I can't, like, focus on my TV. And we're expecting these USC people to run their 40s. So I think, like, there's just so, there's such a probability of a bad day that it's really dishonest to say that any improvement is, you know, at a pro day then is invalid. The second thing is that when I look at the data, you know, I have going back to 99, so that's like 16 years of data last year, the vertical improves by just as much as the 40-yard dash. The broad jump improves by just as much, you know, as the 40-yard dash pretty much. So I don't really understand... You know, maybe we think the 40 yards are fast, but do we think they're using different rulers for the vertical and the broad? You know, what, like, we have to have some consistent thing here. And if people are seeing improvements in the vertical and the broad jump, that really, to me, reinforces the idea that some guys have a bad day. And, you know, some people have a good day. That's just kind of how it works. When I wake up in the morning, I might, and I go take a test, I might have a good test or I might have a bad test. I don't know. You know, most of the time I'm probably going to have an average test. I'm probably going to be right about my skill level. But there are obviously times where I'm going to perform worse than I should have. Maybe there are times where I perform better than I should have. It's the same for this. And I would say especially for West Coast people, just trying to, you know, bring that out. It is really hard to wake up, I'm sure, and run into your testing at 6 in the morning in a different city, in a hotel room where no one's around, and it's really cold in Indianapolis. I, I just have to imagine that we don't really fully understand that these guys are not in the optimal training. Um, so, heck, I mean, I think I read of a sleep scientist this week. They were talking about, uh, with the Golden State Warriors, they said, like, you know, three-point percentage can change by several percentage points depending on your sleep. Uh-huh. And, I mean, just your sleep at the Combine could be disrupted, right? right. Relative to a pro and- day where you're at home, you're sleeping in your own bed, you have everything comfortable to you. Right. So, I don't know. I see a lot of problems with thinking that the Combine results are delivered to us, you know, on stone tablets and are right. 100% correct. And it might not even be the guys from West Coast schools. It could just be the ones training on the West Coast as well because we know a lot of um, those training facilities are tied with the agencies that they sign with. And so many of them are in California or on the West coast that i mean that, that that's a big factor like you mentioned as well um so we didn't even talk about this but what about the best practices for inputting these um composite scores these spark scores however you want to put them um would one i'm just going to throw this out there because i know you've mentioned in the past um just staying away from bad athletes you know that that could kind of be a valuable tool to use just staying away from the bad athletes because rarely i'm not maybe not rarely is the right word choice here but but it it might be more difficult for a bad athlete to succeed in the nfl right so i think that your your use of metrics should vary kind of as the draft goes along and as your use of capital changes right uh losing a sixth round pick is a lot different than losing a first round pick you know risk mitigation is different you just you have a lot of different priorities and so early in the draft especially I think we avoid bad athletes, and that, that's just a very, I mean, we just know. Uh, I think relatively rarely kind of is applicable. So if I look at a guy like, for example, 
a lot of people like Kevin Dodd. Kevin Dodd, I was really impressed by watching the last few college games of the year. I thought, hey, this, you know, he, he played well in those. But look at my database, and I say, okay, I'm going to look up 24-year-olds playing defensive ends with sub-20th percentile athleticism, you know, bottom quartile. And I click that query, I don't see good names come up. And what that doesn't tell me that Kevin Dodd's going to be bad. It doesn't tell me that Kevin Dodd, you know, has no chance. It just tells me that I don't want to make that risk when I have something to lose. I would rather go with somebody who's just a better prospect. I mean, I tweeted about Shaq Lawson and Dodd, I think, like a month or two ago before testing, and just said, like, Dodd is two years older. We should kind of be accounting for this. And I think somebody maybe from PFF or something tweeted at me and said, well, Dodd is good and Lawson's not. Or wow. something along those lines, you know? And, and I think that, so I, I don't think everyone, like, for example, would go to the tape and say Dodd's better. I don't think there's, like, some tape universal truth that, you know, um, that one's better than the other. But I know for me, if I'm picking in that, you know, like, late first, early second, wherever those guys are going to go, I'm going to gravitate to the one who's younger and more athletic simply because the track record of guys like Dodd is really, really poor. And maybe he's the guy. And I think, like, people sometimes say, like, I, you know, I'm kind of cold-hearted for just cutting some guys out, you know? But, like, I want Kevin Dodd to be good. I don't have anything invested in him being bad. This is this is data, right? Like, I don't have some personal vendetta against unathletic players. The data just tells me that their chances aren't as good. So I would not take Kevin Dodd, but, hey, I hope he's really good for somebody. Yeah. Um, so I think that what you're saying is, like, the bad athletes kind of being the first way to use it. And I think that is an extension of what is a very common analytical concept in that negative indicators are very often more strong and predictive of actual, you know, future performance, predictive value. Something good, you know, oh oh good, a player tested well, you know, that has value. I think it has even more value when a player tests really poorly. And we just, it's like with Max Williams last year, I kind of got some heat for not liking Max Williams, but the track record of star tight ends with his athleticism and build is just basically zero. And I don't want to be the guy to bet that I know the first one to huh. overcome that hurdle. So let's let's kind of spend these final few minutes just going over this draft class in general as athletes and just following you on Twitter during the NFL Combine. I know that you didn't really get super excited, but then Sunday hit. The defensive back groups. And Zach, you lit up like a flame. Like this, this defensive back group for you, um, I mean, maybe, maybe put it in your own words. I'll let you explain it. How, how does this defensive back group compare with the rest of the class, I guess just with combine participants, uh, in, terms of, in terms of athleticism? Right. It was a really disappointing week, right? I mean, especially, again, not to bemoan the awful West Coast waking up early, but I, I think I rolled out of bed for one of the days, like with wide receivers, and they're all running four sixes. And there is almost no regret, like, being awake at 6, like, 15 in the morning watching Deronio Wilson just, like, the run job, yeah. Like, yeah, well, that, that you can speak for that yourself, <laughs> but I am not going to be party to that. Um, it, it was very depressing. And that kind of continued. The defensive line, we saw some standouts. Bullard out of Florida, I really like his profile. You know, there were some exciting guys. And... It was funny, our expectations, kind of like as draft Twitter, slowly just got lower and lower and lower, and we're getting excited about pretty average performances. But then but then Monday came, the defensive backs came, and it, 
I think um, things have changed a little bit. You know, pro days are going to happen. The numbers will resort themselves. But when I ran um, an initial look at, at the class right after the combine was over, I think six of like the eight best athletes came from the defensive back group, wow. including the two highest uh, rated athletes, Jalen Ramsey out of Florida State, Vernon Hargreaves out of Florida. And then even, even beyond those guys, though, just the number of NFL plus athletes, I think over 40% of the combine participants in that class went over the NFL average significantly higher than any other position group. You even had, you know, guys from non-Power non, uh, 5 schools pop up, like James Bradbury out of Sanford, DeAndre Elliott, Colorado State, and Miles Killebrew, Southern Utah. So it was like this great thing where we had these blue chippers like Ramsey and Hargreaves. We had, you know, smaller school guys like Bradbury or Killebrew. And then you had some big school guys who are really young overall. You know, none of them are older than 22, like Justin Simmons, TJ Green, Eric Murray, Sean Davis. So it was really like everything for you, right? All these guys were, had length and athleticism and, and age on their side. And so it was a really great palate cleanser after what was a, a really disappointing combine. I think I looked back and every year there's kind of like two, two Sigma athletes or so at the combine. You really expect to see two. And we had none until Monday when Hargreaves and Ramsey both hit it. I just remember getting home from work on Monday, you know, being dispirited, feeling in the gutter, all these players are terrible, and then you look at it, and the defensive back group just saved us. So, um, and, and I think I saw you mention that in like the last decade, this might be the most athletic position, singular position that we've ever seen. Yeah, it's really hard to find out like what the bounds for that are you know and how to define that but it's definitely it's up there in the running um almost more for depth than even top end talent because you know it's 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 really cool and affirming when you see top 10 picks like hargreaves or ramsey at the top because it just feels good to see your blue chip players all checks the boxes those types of things yeah yeah it feels it feels really good to see that right um but just the depth of class all these i mean i think six of the top nine spark corners also have you know like 85th percentile length it's just it's a really well-rounded physical set very exciting and i i was totally wrong because last year i remember on combine day the wide receivers and, and defensive backs the receivers had all these great results you know you had kind of these unheralded receivers like uh, Chris Conley hitting really great athletic testing. And I made, you know, these doomsday tweets like coaches are putting their best athletes at receiver now. We're not going to see any good athletes at defensive back anymore. And I was completely dead wrong a year later because all of the good athletes are at defensive back. We had some good performances at wide receiver, but not really, you know, the elite guys. And so, you know what? I overreacted. I was wrong. I'll admit that now. Wow. We have plenty of athletes this year. I think, I mean, Jalen Ramsey is, I mean, he's a Talk about checking all athlete. the boxes, right? Like, th- this is why he can be the first, <sighs> first overall pick, because you have someone with his size that is an aggressive player that was already good in college, plus potentially the best athlete in this entire draft, regardless of position. I mean, if that doesn't scream top three pick, number one pick, I'm not sure what else really can. Um, especially at a premium I, position. I think you forgot to mention that he's also, you know, 21. Right. And has, like, a, a better wingspan than, like, half the NFL guards. Wow. So, um, it, it's... Yeah, <laughs> wow. and, and I'll finish with this one. Um, maybe the most unique player in this draft is Derrick Henry in terms of what we're typically 
um, looking for at the position or, or our expectations are at this at position in terms of a size and frame standpoint. And you mentioned going back into your database and, you know, filling out someone's profile plus their weight and their height and their age and going in and, and seeing what pops up. Um, one, do you remember what popped up with Derrick Henry? And two, um, are you optimistic about Derrick Henry's projection? So I think that um, in general, I'm more conservative with comparisons than, than some people. And I, that's really just a personal flavor. That's a fielder's choice. How do you want to approach it? I don't have any good comps for Derrick Henry. There just there aren't any other running backs like him. We can make comparisons to guys who kind of are like him, but really, like, there are significant things with each of those comparisons that kind of disqualify them from being the right comparison. And in a, in a sense, in a, in a situation like that, I'm fine just saying, you know what, he's one of a kind. And I think with these one of a kind cases, there's just it's really hard to go off the data because the data isn't there, and it's 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 more hurtful, I think to try to kind of go off data that isn't there than just admitting to yourself, you know what, we don't have a lot here. This is unique. And this, it, the guys like Derrick Henry are kind of my favorite part of this, right? Because hmm. I haven't seen that before. You haven't seen that before. No one's seen that before. We don't know if Derrick Henry, you know, that athletic profile, we don't really haven't seen it before. We don't know how good it's going to be just, you know, with, with analytics. We can't really see. What I do know is that players of his age and his general athleticism profile are good. Um, I know that Derrick Henry gets picked apart more than I can imagine any prospect <laughs> who did what he did in college did. And I am optimistic. I think to some extent with athleticism we say, does do we see this athleticism on the field? Do these results match what we're seeing? And I think Derrick Henry's kind of the epitome of that, right? Yep. Really good long speed, not as great in short areas, but overall an explosive athlete at a very, very high weight who pulls away, you know, at the second level. And when it comes to what can this player do, how, you know, I might even say, how does this player win? <laughs> Derrick Henry, I can see an obvious path on an NFL field to winning. Right. And that's kind of, that's just a really, does, that, does the athleticism translate? And is there a way to see that player? And really, because all we have is projection. When you talk about a guy who's one of a kind, the first Derrick Henry we've seen, and we're not going to see another Derrick Henry. Right. Um, he, he he's Derrick Henry. It almost is. It, it's just it feels wrong to try to contextualize him because there is no context for him. But I know I don't know. I guess for me, I think he's really fun to watch. I hope he's really good, and I think it's a lot more fun to say, you know what, I don't know, than try to find reasons to dislike him. I think that's kind of happening with him a bit. Yeah is people are kind of trying to hedge their evaluations with him with other things. Like, I've never seen people pile on a running back for having, like, small hands like they did Derrick Henry. Right. Right? But, right. but you have all of this You have all of this and negative it's not like he's palming the football or anything. Henry. Right. Right, right, right. Like, this dude, this dude is not a receiver. We know that. Right. He doesn't have an ex- – he has fumbles, but he also carried the ball a thousand times last year, right. and that's barely an exaggeration, right? Yeah. So his actual fumble rate, I'm guessing, is not that high. Yeah. But people are trying to couch their negative views of him in other things because we haven't seen him before, and people do not like saying 
I don't know, this is a leap of faith. People do not like admitting that. So we're gonna find the hand size, we're gonna find the injury history, we're gonna find the Alabama stuff, and we're gonna couch our negative qualitative opinion of his play in other things. And so if he doesn't turn out in two years, people can just hedge and say, well, he was hurt. Well, those small hands I warned you about. But I don't see anyone really making a comprehensive argument about hand size that Derek Henry that makes sense to me. I don't see a comprehensive argument as injury history that makes sense to me. So can someone please just give me a straight answer? Like, do you like how he plays or do you not? The the only the only way I see him failing, and and we'll end on this, is um, if he goes to a team with just a horrendous offensive line, right? Allowing yeah. two or three yard disruption on like play after play, getting hit the line of scrimmage over and over and over again. And I still think if if he gets hit the line of scrimmage, he'll still gain an extra yard or two. And he does that at the second level. But just imagine if he is given the line of scrimmage or if he is given the second level. How and 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 think of him. And I've I've made this comment a lot, but think of him like you're up about ten points, seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Right? You need a few first downs, and the game is over. I'm not sure if there's a running back in the last few drafts that I'd rather want on my team than Derrick Henry just to pound the other team into submission because Derrick Henry in that role, which is a where-he-wins situation, would be absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it, it makes me smile thinking about him landing in a situation like that, but um, I, I think that that's part of the reason why we kind of go back and then discuss the situations that they fall into. But again, I don't see a lot of ways that Derrick Henry – can fail in the NFL or flat completely on his face or or be a quote-unquote bust um, like he's kind of being evaluated in some ways. And I'm perfectly cool with, you know, um, bringing out the negatives and, and being critical of every prospect. But I, I'm with you. Um, I, I think it's gone a bit too far here with Derrick Henry. Um, but Zach, you're the man. Um, everyone go read Zach's stuff at 3sigmaathlete.com. I got that correct. And follow him on Twitter at ZJ Whitman. Honestly, if there's one person that can um, contextualize and put athletic testing into perspective and why it matters, Zach's the guy. He changed me. And that's saying a lot because I can be stubborn, but not as much anymore. <laughs> so Zach, really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. I love coming on. Thanks for the opportunity. And one more thing that I forgot to mention with Zach on the line. We talked about great athletes and bad athletes but we forgot to mention average athletes. And I think many times when you talk about athleticism and really anything on a spectrum, many times average is perceived to be bad. That's not the case at all. It's perfectly okay for average NFL athletes to be on a roster. I mean, you're talking about an average NFL athlete here. So really staying away, like we, we talked about with Zach, staying away from the bad or poor athletes is really the simplest and easiest way to include athletic testing in your evaluation skill set. So thanks so much for listening and obviously for Zach coming on the show. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher. If you want the shout out, let us know what you think about the podcast and the reviews on iTunes. As you can tell, we're reading them each week and using your feedback to make the show better. We're looking at you, Laritonda24. We'll see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.